0: Well, as you drive around um, these days, you see lots of help-wanted signs or lots of now-hiring signs, and there's just, everyone seems to be hiring those these, these days. And I don't know, people probably still flip through classifieds to find jobs, but it's maybe not the first thing people go to. It might go to Indeed.com or all those other sites where you can find job postings, or you might go online. But if you're flipping through the classifieds, you would maybe see a little ad that says, like, help-wanted, or now hiring, and then it'll tell you, okay, this is the position we're hiring for, maybe some of the skills or experience needed, and perhaps an hourly rate, and you'll get a sense for, okay, what are the qualifications that are needed to do this job, and what are the responsibilities if I say yes to this job? And perhaps uh, there's a start date. It could be like immediately or summer, you know, seasonal thing or something like that. And as we think uh, about this passage that we had read this morning, I wonder what Jesus, if he was taking out an ad in the classifieds where he wants to say, you know, now hiring or help wanted, uh, what are the things that he would put in that ad? What would, what would be the qualifications? What would be the responsibilities? If he's like, I've, you know, I'm doing, I'm running my father's business and he sent me to get more people to work in this business. And so what are the qualifications or responsibilities that he would have? Or, and what are the benefits? When would he tell us to start? And last time, uh, not this past Sunday, because we were doing our camp outing, and so we had a bit different message, but two weeks ago, uh, we talked about how we don't only need faith in Jesus, but we also need the faith of Jesus, that uh, we are, yes, we have faith in Jesus to save us from our sins. He died, paid the penalty for all of our, as we sang in this song, we're prone to wander. So Jesus paid the penalty for us wandering from God, turning our backs on God, but also we want to have a relationship like God that Jesus has, but not just faith in Jesus, but the faith of Jesus. Uh, how What kind of faith does Jesus have when he thinks about God? What does he believe God will do? What does he uh, obey God? Uh, and what, In what ways does he obey God? How does he see God? Uh, we want to know God like Jesus does. And so we don't only, we want to see God like Jesus does, but we also want to do the things that Jesus did. That's why Jesus had disciples. The whole point of uh, being a disciple of Jesus is, You're living life with him. You're learning from him so that you can live the same kind of life that he lived, where none of us are going to die on a cross for everyone's sins, but this life of where he's living with this faith in God, surrendered to him and spreading uh, the news about him. And so today we're focusing on uh, seeing people like Jesus sees people so that we will love them like Jesus loves them. So today we're talking about how we can see people like Jesus sees people. how does he see when he looks at us? What does he see when he looks at people in our towns, in our families, in our workplaces? And we're in this short passage in the Gospel according to Matthew. And chapters 5 through 9 of this Gospel is really Jesus' mission and ministry uh, in word and deed in the region of Galilee. That was the region he grew up in. That's the region he started doing uh, his ministry in. And so chapters 5 through 9 of Matthew are focused on that. Jesus doing ministry in word and Indeed, in Galilee. And then chapters 9 through 11, uh, the people that Jesus is doing ministry to now become people he's doing ministry through. That these people that have been affected by him, he now gathers up a a core group of them and says, I'm going to send you out to do the things that I'm doing. So 5 through 9 is Jesus doing stuff, and then 9 through 11 is sending his disciples, people who have been impacted by his ministry, out to do the same kind of stuff. He gives them authority to do what he's done. And so that's, we're like right in the middle of that. uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38 is like a transitional scene. It's a summary of the chapters that came before, Jesus' ministry that he was doing, and a a preview of what's about to come, an introduction to what's about to come, that he's sending his disciples to do that, uh, what he's been doing. And so if we just look at the first two verses, chapter 9, uh, 35 to 36, this is really about how we should see and feel about other people. And so, Verse 35 says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So you see the summary there, his ministry in words and in deeds. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, but he's also showing this kingdom that God's kingdom is coming to heal The issues that we have in in our lives that not necessarily can take it all away now, but God wants to heal the brokenness that has come into our lives and to this world because of us turning our backs on him. And Jesus comes and he's reversing that. He's healing it. And he's showing and telling people what the gospel of the kingdom is like. And God's life-giving presence comes to heal people in every way. And then in 36, we're given a little insight into what Jesus saw. Verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, these are people, I mean, think about people he- hearing, there's a guy, I mean, this is 2,000 years ago, so there are uh, way fewer advances in medical, uh, uh, our medical abilities, and so it's like, well, my dad has this issue, my brother has this issue, my cousin has this issue, we just don't know what to do about it, we don't know how to get rid of this, we don't know what's going on, and now there's this guy who's healing people of their diseases, there's people he's casting out demons, that people are like, my You know, my friend just hasn't been right since, you know, this day when it seemed like this darkness came over him. And Jesus is getting rid of that. And he's telling people, this is the good news of the kingdom, that I'm coming to undo what has been done to this world and to you. And so you have these crowds, and it says, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And so what does Jesus see? It says, when he saw the crowds, he sees these crowds of people, and then it says he had compassion for them. And why? It says because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And sheep without a shepherd is an image from the Old Testament that often the leaders of the nation of Israel were compared to shepherds. They're supposed to be, you know, and that gives you a lot, of, a lot of the job description. You're supposed to lead these sheep to, to where they can eat. You're supposed to protect them. Supposed to guide them. You're supposed to um, bind up their wounds when they get hurt. And Ezekiel chapter 34, if you ever want to read a passage of, like, well, what does God want from his leaders? Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16, um, God is talking about, like, what have you been doing to the sheep? You've been just taking their wool. You've been using them to your own advantage. You haven't gone after the ones that are astray. You haven't healed the ones that are hurt. And so then God says, you leaders have failed, so I myself am going to come and shepherd my people. And God says, I'm going to find the lost. I'm going to bind up the, the hurting. I'm going to do all this. I'm going to seek them out. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the passage, it says, I'm going to send my servant David to do it. So it's like, a, wait, wait a second, God. You said you yourself was going to do it. And now you're saying you're going to send your servant. And it's like, well, how do those two things work? Um, well, you know, from later in the Bible, we know that Jesus came as God in the flesh and as someone who is in the family line of David, and so God himself came to shepherds people in the person of Jesus, who was a descendant of King David. And so uh, Jesus is, if, if you are a sheep without a shepherd in the Old Testament, it meant that people were not, the, rep, the leaders weren't showing and telling you what God is like. They weren't accurately reflecting or representing who God is. And so Jesus looks out at these people who need shepherding. He says, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. They Don't have anyone guiding them. Don't have anyone leading them. Don't have anyone protecting them. Don't have anyone binding up their wounds. He sees these people need shepherding. He sees people who need help. He sees people who need leadership. They need to be led back to God, and no one is leading them back to God. And what does he feel? That's what he sees. What does he feel? We're told he feels compassion for the crowds. Why? Because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees people in need, and he has compassion for them. He looks at them, sees their need, sees their need for God, their need for leadership, for people to lead them back to God, and he's filled with this compassion for their plight. So as we make this personal, what, just right now, what do you think Jesus sees when he looks at you right now? What does he see when he looks at you right now? And what does he feel when he looks at you right now? And sometimes I think it can be helpful to look through the emojis on the phone, the little faces that we can send out, the emoticons, and be like, which one of those do I think is God toward me right now? And I was going to bring a little printout of some of them, but you know them, the ones that are kind of like the disappointed ones, the like exasperated ones, the ones that are just kind of like rolling their eyes. It's like, is that, when God looks at you, is that what he feels towards you? Rolling his eyes, exasperated, like, oh, here's, the, here's this person again with all their needs, with all their issues. We're told here that when Jesus looks at this crowd, harassed and helpless, needing leadership, meaning they don't have their life all figured out, they don't have their life all together, they're not, Jesus doesn't look and say, oh, I guess they don't need anyone leading them. They're, you know, they're just doing fine on their own. No, he sees people that need to be helped, to be led, to be guided, and he feels compassion. So when God looks at you, what does he see? What does he feel when he looks at you? And I guarantee he sees need because... We all are very needy, as much as we might want to put an image out of like, you know, I don't really need much, I kind of can put together. We all are very needy, and we're told feels compassion. And so something as you consider when you look at people, what you see and feel toward people is a reflection of what you think Jesus sees and feels towards you. So many times we might be like, this person is always having issues, this person is always having problems, they always have needs, and we can get frustrated. And then when we're doing that, we should say, Is this how I think God treats me? That He's frustrated with me, annoyed with me, kind of like, get it together, man. Like, is that what God, Jesus is like towards me? And what we see and feel toward people is a reflection of what we think Jesus sees and feels when He looks at us. And so when you look at people, what do you see? Do you see a nuisance or an annoyance to avoid? A project to work on? An opponent, opponent to defeat? a problem to fix. How we see people will change how we feel towards them. And perhaps uh, you would do similar things as them, uh, but you'd come across uh, way differently. Like maybe you want people to react to you with kindness when you're having a hard time, and you just want people, I just wish they would get what I'm going to, have empathy, and it's like that's what we want, and so often we struggle to give that to other people. And so that's what you see. When you look at people, what do you feel? Do you feel intimidated, apathetic, or scared, or uncomfortable, or angry, or worried about what they will think. And in particular, uh, Jesus is looking at people that he's seeing, these people are far from God, They're like sheep without a shepherd, they need someone to lead them back to God. And so, uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, when you look at people who aren't followers of Jesus, people who don't believe what you believe, what do you see and what do you feel? Do you see an opponent that you're afraid of? Do you see uh, a risk Um, that you're uh, scared of? Do you see someone you're angry with? Are you worried what they'll think? Are you uncomfortable and intimidated? And how we see people would would determine what we feel toward them. And we need compassion for their dire need that overcomes our other feelings. And uh, This is just an idea I had that perhaps the best way to overcome fear, apathy, or anger is not to get rid of those things, but to replace them with something stronger of I'm so angry at this person. I'm so afraid of this person. I'm just apathetic toward them. And we might feel like, well, why is that? And we change how we're seeing them. This is a person in need. And we replace that feeling with compassion rather than the other things we might feel. I kind of think of, I don't know what you guys do when you see something in someone's teeth. You know, like if I was up here and you all notice, like, He's got a huge piece of spinach in his teeth. Or, uh, I feel very vulnerable saying this, or if my fly is down, you know, somebody's fly is down. Like, what do you do? Like, I'm noticing they've got an issue here. And what do I do? do I, it's going to be really uncomfortable. Like, hey, hey, you have something in your, you something in your teeth. Oh, really? I mean, uh, like, hey, your zipper's down. And we might feel very uncomfortable saying that. Kind of scared to say it. Or like, do I know them well enough? How are they going to react? I don't want to embarrass them. I don't want them to, you know, kind of, you know, just feel self-conscious about themselves. And they might feel uncomfortable, and so you might ignore it, be like, it's not my problem. Hope they know us eventually. And hopefully the next person, hopefully somebody who knows them better will uh, tell them about this issue. And we might not know what to say. But another option is that we push through the potential awkwardness to, to benefit them. Like, you have something in your teeth, and you feel compassionate. Like, I don't want the next person I talk to, maybe their boss, maybe their girlfriend, just staring and being like, geez, this person needs to clean it up, or like, for them to feel embarrassed. And if you can be feel like, I want to do something for their benefit, even though it's a little uncomfortable to me. And it's because we care about them. We don't let the barriers keep us from telling them what they need to hear. And if we think about that, when we are thinking about people's need for Jesus, how much greater would that be? Of like, How much greater are the consequences? Like, you tell someone you have something in your teeth, because you don't want them to... If you're talking to the wrong person, then that's going to give, you know, they feel embarrassed all day. They have to like, I want to help you out. How much more should we be like, I want to push through any potential awkwardness, any potential way I'm uncomfortable, and I see you as a sheep that needs shepherding, and I have compassion on you, you're harassed and helpless, that you're following all these paths to try and feel whole again, or try to feel close to God, or feel like your life matters. And let me tell you, I have compassion on you, so I want to talk to you about this, even if you might not react how I want you to react, or even if it might feel uncomfortable. So that's that's how Jesus sees this crowd and how he feels towards them. And now he talks about how we should see ourselves in verses 37 to 38. So he looks at this crowd, his compassion, and and then verse 37 says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, into his harvest. So the first thing he said, said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so Jesus tells his disciples what he sees and what he wants them to see. And then he tells them how he wants them to see themselves. So Jesus looks, he has compassion. Why does he have compassion? Then he tells them, I want you to see what I'm seeing. The harvest is plentiful. And now I want to tell you about a problem. The workers are few. The laborers are few. There's a problem here. There's a disconnect. There's a lot of work to do, not enough people to do it. There's a harvest, you know, the crop has come up. It's ready to be taken down, put in the barns or storehouses or whatever. And he's saying it's ready to be harvested. There's work to do, but there's not enough people to do the work. And then he tells them what to do about what they see. He says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And the Lord of the harvest referred to God. Or Jesus could be referring to himself. And he's the one in charge of the harvest. He's overseeing it. He's responsible for it. And Jesus tells them to pray. You look at the harvest. You see this problem. The workers are few. What should you do? Go talk to the Lord of the harvest. Talk to the guy who's in charge of this, who's overseeing it, who's responsible for it. And do it earnestly. Uh, Pray to him earnestly, not wavering in your interest or devotion to it. You're You're being intentional about it. You're going to keep doing it. You're not going to stop. And so what do we pray for? What do we ask the Lord of the harvest for? He says uh, to send laborers into the harvest. Would you pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest? He's the foreman. He's in charge. Ask him to help with this problem. And we see that the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of need. But the laborers are few. There's not enough workers for the work that must be done. And Jesus, we know what, he's, what he means when he's talking about the harvest is, you know, not a, we, we, do, we can't just make it up on our own or be like, you must be talking about the wheat or whatever. But no, that's an image he's using because he just said, I see this crowd like sheep without a shepherd and I have compassion. So he says, look out here. Look at this crowd. I want you to see what I'm seeing. These are people not being led to God. They're far from God and they have no one shepherding them back to God. And he says, this harvest, this work is plentiful, but the people doing it are few. And so we look at the need We see there aren't enough people to meet the need, and we ask the Lord of the Harvest to send out more workers to meet the need. Into what? Into his harvest, we're told. It's his harvest, not our harvest, but it's the Lord's harvest. It's God's harvest. He's responsible for it. He's owning it. He's overseeing it. It's his harvest. And so we ask him to send out workers for it. In the very next scene after this, you could maybe conclude, okay, um, so if we're looking around Woodstock, if we're looking around Crystal Lake or Harvard or, or Michigan, uh, wherever we're looking at, if we're seeing, wow, there's a lot of people here that don't know Jesus. Um, so, But Jesus, what he says, he doesn't say to me to get out, tell me to get out there and do the work. He says to pray for workers to do it. And so my job is to pray. But it's true, our job is to pray for workers. But immediately after this very next scene, chapter 10, Jesus calls a bunch of his disciples to himself, and then he sends them out as workers. He's Remember chapters 5 through 9? He's to... Jesus is doing the work, and now here he says, I want you to see what I'm seeing. There's a lot of work, there's not enough workers, and then he tells them, pray for more workers, and then the next scene, he sends them out to be workers. And so we're praying for workers to tell people about Jesus who are far from God, and we're also the answer to our own prayer. We're praying for the workers, and we're doing the work. Uh, And one person um, summarized what Jesus, what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means walking with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to be like Jesus. Walking with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to be like Jesus. And so these disciples, they're walking with Jesus, and then they're learning from him, how to be like him. They're going to do what he does. And the same is true for us today. So I just want to take a moment to have us look out, as Jesus would have us, look out there and see what he's seeing. And I'm going to focus on Woodstock, because that's kind of our ground zero. That doesn't you know, negate the importance of any other town around here that we live in or any town in the country, this country or this county that we would be interested in. But in Woodstock, you'll meet Buddhists and Unitarians, ex-Catholics and Catholics checking religious boxes, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses at your door, and uh, quote, Christians doing good and hoping it's good enough. And you'll meet lots of people coming up with their own path to God. But you won't meet many devoted followers of Jesus telling others about him. There's a lot of religious diversity in this town, but there's not a very strong gospel presence or witness. And So just imagine you're at a restaurant, maybe, with 20 other people sitting there with you. You're not eating with them, but they're in this restaurant with you, either in the line, waiting for the food, eating, whatever. A 2021 survey tells us that um, five of those would identify as Catholic. Six are part of a liberal church where the gospel isn't central. Five have no religious preference. One is part of a non-Christian religion such as Buddhism. And three are part of conservative Protestant churches, which is what we are, an evangelical, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church. So I don't want to evaluate most, so we got that makeup of 20 people. And I'm not interested in evaluating whether they're saved or not. I don't know. Well, are they going to heaven or not? I don't know. I haven't talked to them. I haven't met them. Um, and uh, I'm a, also making an assumption that if you're part of, let's say, a Catholic church or part of a, a liberal Protestant church, um, both of those aren't, if, you're, if they're going along with their denomination, what the denomination aligns with and stands for, they're not uh, focused on teaching the gospel of salvation by Christ alone, uh, faith alone through Christ alone every Sunday, or at all. It can be, it's a different focus. So I'm assuming that they're, let's say I visit all these churches, I'm assuming that they're in alignment with their denomination. And so according to this 2021 survey, there's probably only three people in that restaurant, if there's 20 people there with us, who've heard the gospel clearly explained. I'm not saying only uh, three people saved, I'm seeing three people who on a Sunday morning or throughout the course of their religious activities are hearing Jesus died for your sins. You've turned from God. Jesus died so that you can be forgiven. He paid the penalty so you can receive that from him. And now it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone that you can come to God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other name on earth by whom you can be saved. And so I'm saying that 17 out of those 20 people do not hear that message on a regular basis from their religious uh, group they're affiliated with or the people uh, in their lives so that's 85%, more than 8 out of 10 people who are at the store with you, who are stuck in traffic with you, who you're living next to, who you're working with, who you're passing on the sidewalk, uh, are not hearing uh, the gospel clearly explained in their religious um, following. And deep down, everyone's asking and wondering, if anyone really knew me, could they really love me? If you knew who I was, how messed up and broken I am. There's no way you could love me. That's, I feel like that is part of the core of what we're looking for as humans. We're made to be loved by God. We're made to love God above all else. We're made to love one another as he's loved us. And when we turn away from being loved by God to try and find that same love somewhere else, we keep wondering, could anyone, does anyone really love me? Is there really love that's true and genuine out there? Can anyone love me? Me as messed up and broken as I am, but what we want to tell them is yes, God does love you. He's already proven it for God's love of the world that He sent His only Son, John three sixteen, so that you might not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life meaning not heaven, but life with God. Once again, bring Jesus, bringing us back into that relation with God. Romans five eight tells us that uh, Jesus didn't die for good people, um, and maybe somebody would, but he's but that's kind of rare. Uh, he says maybe somebody would die for a bad person or a good person. You can understand that. But nobody would die for a bad person. Romans 5 eight says, but Jesus died for us while we were straying from God, while we turned our back on him, while we were sinners, while we uh, had rejected God and betrayed his love, Jesus died for us in that condition. And so God has proven his love for us. He's demonstrated his love for us. And we can anyone who wants to return to God, will run to, he will run out to them and embrace them with a love that they could never expect or imagine or that they even thought they would have. And if you want an image for that, um, I mean, it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Like, I could have lived my whole life as a complete jerk, even a murderer, doing you know, terrible things. And uh, Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells us, I want to tell you what my God is like. That if you turn back to him, he will run out to you and embrace you with love before you can even get your rehearsed apology out of your mouth. I'm sorry, God, for all Oh, of you everything. Know, he's giving us a big hug and saying, I just love you. I'm so glad you're home. Let's throw a party. I just have so much joy that you're back here again. And Jesus wants people to see his God like that. Because when he looks at this crowd with and sees their need, he feels compassion. And so he's seeing the need and he knows that his God is at work. He says, we see the need, guys. So let's pray to the one who wants to get this work done. Let's pray and ask him to come and do this. And we want... As a church, we want to give everyone here in Woodstock or wherever we live an opportunity to discover who Jesus is, who he really is. And there's great need. There's work to be done, but there's not enough people to do the work. Not enough people who are taking responsibility for the need. Not enough people who want to work for the Lord of the Harvest. And what my summary of what Jesus says here is kind of, there's more opportunities than there are workers to take advantage of them. There's just, it's not like... You know, we'd go out of here and be like, well, I don't know, there's like 10 people that need Jesus, so I guess we'll split them up amongst us. No, Jesus is saying there's more opportunities than there are people to ta- that are taking advantage of them. And so we're flipping through the classifieds. We find Jesus' help wanted ad. What does Jesus list for qualifications and responsibilities? And what's the job? First, he says you need to see people a certain way. You need to see people in their state of need and have compassion for them. You need to see them for that, and that's how you feel about it. And I kind of think, uh, you know how there's like those dog commercials where people like want you to adopt a puppy or a dog or whatever, and there's not just somebody, you know, standing there with like a nice suit on or something saying like, hey, I just want to let you know, like there's a lot of dogs going to be adopted, here's the info, what you call to get the dogs adopted. No, you guys have all seen these commercials. They do these like shots and videos of the dogs, you know, doing that thing that dogs do, the you know, looking up at you and they're like, you know, shivering or shaking, and they get you to look at these dogs and you're like, somebody's got to do something about this. I've got to do something about this. I can't leave those dogs in that situation with those big eyes and the shaking and the fear. I need to do something about this. And that's what Jesus is wanting us to see. He wants us to see and look out at the people in our lives, our friends, our relatives, our acquaintances, our neighbors, our coworkers, and see, see somebody's got to do something about this. They don't know God. They're far from God. They don't know that God so loved the world, that he gave his son, that you don't have to keep wandering around trying to fix what's wrong in your life or trying to find what's missing. He's what was missing. God is what's missing. And Jesus wants to bring you back to him. And so that's what we need to do is pray, God, would you give us this compassion? And that's what motivates Jesus to do what he does. And so so ask yourself, we've talked about our frank list, friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, coworkers. Has their need captured your heart? Has it stirred you to compassion? And when was the last time you cried about the situation of those people who are far from God? And so this isn't supposed to be condemning questions, but it's a heart check. And if we aren't feeling the compassion, we have to pray for it. God, would you give us the compassion of Christ? So that's how we see people and feel towards them, and how we see ourselves. Uh, How we see them will determine how we see ourselves. So are they a project we're fixing? Are they, you know, kind of a, an opponent we're trying to defeat? And how do you see yourself? What do you think the gospel is? How do you see what you're doing? If you're talking to people about like Jesus, what do you think you're doing there? Is it like, well, I'm kind of just telling them about my religious beliefs, or I'm kind of just telling them about my religious preferences. I don't want to offend them, they got their own thing going on, or you might feel like telling them about Jesus, I don't know, is it really relevant to their life? Is this something they need? Uh, if that's what we're feeling, we're not gonna have confidence telling people, Jesus, we're going to feel like I'm just bothering them. It's, that's a waste of time. It's an annoyance. This isn't relevant to them. It's not helpful. Uh, but we need to see there's a huge need and we have good news to everybody. Every single person is in this state of need. We have good news for them and God is at work. God wants to do something in their lives. The amazing news that Jesus announced is that God is winning the world back to himself by refusing to stop loving people who've stopped loving him. We turned our back on him. We rejected and betrayed his love. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not done with you. God refuses to stop loving people who stop loving him. And so what we do is we become workers for the harvest. There's no spectator seats in the kingdom of God. There aren't, you know, I'm not like you're watching an NFL game. I'm not like the whoever quarterback or someone on the field that you're watching play. No, my job, as I'm told in Ephesians 4, is to equip all of you to do the work of ministry. So that there's no bench seats, there's no spectator seats in the kingdom of God. That when we're called in the body of Christ, every member has a job, has a responsibility, has something to do. We all have a part to play. And so we become workers for the harvest, and we ought to pray that people will be saved and also pray for more workers. And so Jesus tells us, I want you to be a worker for the harvest, full of compassion for those far from God. And your responsibilities are, like a shepherd, guiding people back to God. And asking the Lord to send more workers into the harvest. And also recruiting more workers for the harvest. And so as we do that, we want to show people there is a great need around us. And more of us need to get involved in this and doing it. So Jesus' message is the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful because everyone is looking for what only God provides. They just don't know that that's what they're missing. The harvest is plentiful because everyone needs Jesus. There are more opportunities than workers to take advantage of those opportunities. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as people who have been shown your compassion, your grace, your mercy. And Lord, would you let us not forget that, and would you let us take that out to other people who are needing it. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.